Hello, and welcome to Get Me Another, a podcast where we explore those movies that followed in the wake of blockbuster hits and attempted to replicate their success. My name is Chris Iannacone, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Rob Lamorgis. Podcasting has a habit of involving all sorts of people for no reason. It's true. That is absolutely true. This is this is week eight of our Get Me Another, The Bird with the Crystal Plumage series, in which we've been exploring the wave of giallo films that came out in the wake of Dario Argento's Watershed 1970 film, The Bird with the Crystal Plumage. And this week, we'll be discussing two films featuring the strange vice of Mrs. Ward's star, Edwige Fennec who, with her frequent appearances, is often called the Giallo Queen. And honestly, who am I to disagree with that assessment? I'm not going to. No way. Absolutely not. So her hair alone oh, is just transcendent. Uh, yeah. Particularly uh, in the anyway, second we'll, movie. We'll get to the hair. Yeah. 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 We'll I, I have. Yeah. I have a lot of thoughts about the hair, and they are all positive. Uh, but first up today, from 1972, is the case of the bloody iris. Some maniacs pass themselves off as normal. It happens. Who's to say Andrea Pato isn't a maniac? A girl can get murdered for no motive at all. Believe me, Commissioner, Andrea didn't do it. Yes, what motive? Yes, I know. People who are there claim he definitely did it. say, Commissioner, that you thought I might be a suspect, that I could go crazy and murder a girl like that? Well, you took plenty of time before you even admitted you met the girl. Better have a good lawyer. You belong to us now. You pledged yourself. Me above all. No. You've got to obey me. Written by Ernesto Gestaldi, produced by Luciano Martino, and directed by Giuliano Carnamio, The Case of the Bloody Iris feels like a Sergio Martino giallo with the serial numbers filed off. After the last few weeks, I felt like the sleaze factor had dropped a little bit, and I feel like now we're getting back to a healthy amount of sleaze now that we have these two films, which I think uh, the sleaze factor is back up to the, the levels that we have come to expect. Oh, yes. And we're back in Rome, baby. We are. Uh, after after being so other Italian man, cities. Screw you, France. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this film sees the return of Strange Vice of Mrs. Ward's stars Edwige Fennec and George Hilton, who are fantastic together. And uh, I have to wonder if this movie is, is one that Sergio Martino intended to direct, but like couldn't because of scheduling or something like that. Yeah, because his, his brother was the producer, his right? His brother was the producer who he, who he worked with a lot gestaldi yeah. he worked with all the time as a screenwriter it's got you know it, it just it feels like uh you know uh, it feels like a sergio martino picture yeah, he was probably shooting five other pictures that month so <laughs> exactly. he couldn't do the, couldn't squeeze this one in exactly the film also stars paula quattrini annabella incontera george regard Giampiero albertini carla brait oresti leonello and 
Luciano Pagosi, who is now reaching Pat Roach levels of appearances in Get Me Another Films. Our Hall of Fame is so different than the Academy (laughs) Museum, let me tell you. Our Hall of Fame is amazing. Amazing. Uh, uh, Do we we even have a single Bogart or Jimmy Stewart? Hell no, No. baby. We got got half a dozen Pat Roach movies and Luciano Pagosi movies. We got got plenty of Ernie Hudson pictures, too. You know, it's Barbara Boucher, Barbara Bach, all the Barbaras. All of the Barbaras, yes. (laughs) Although not, well, steel. No. Steel. That's true. But that will come. I'm... While this film was released in English markets under the title The Case of the Bloody Iris, the direct translation of the Italian title is actually What Are Those Strange Drops of Blood Doing on Jennifer's Body? That, I have to say, is 1,000% more accurate as a title. (laughs) It is! That is what this movie is, because there really is not a case of a bloody iris. I mean, eventually they... toss one in but it's a real cat of nine tails in my opinion yeah yeah it's it's i mean there's nothing quite to the same degree of it's a metaphor like it's it's not quite to that level but it's close it is literally on screen you're correct (laughs) but it's it's not so much a case about it it just appears no No. and and it's well we'll get into the backstory a lot of it deals with the backstory of one of the characters and this is where i'm talking about you know our sleaze factor is a little higher than it used to be but we open with a young woman who happens to be a prostitute calling her next client and being told to come over. I want to mention that apparently, and I'm judging this from the film, watching the film, that in 70s Italy, to use a public phone, you had to buy a token from another machine and then put that token in the payphone. And I'm like, that is Italian efficiency for you right there. Yeah, but you also apparently needed to be dressed to the nines to use a public phone booth. Absolutely. You you will not get entry unless you look fabulous, and she does. Everybody looks fabulous in this movie. Yeah. I mean, it's just amazing. Oh, yeah. So this girl, she gets into the crowded elevator in a high-rise apartment, but little does she know she's in there with a killer. And we see the rubber gloves come out of the individual's pocket, and a few floors later, the girl is stabbed and killed. And the killer gets out, and shortly afterwards, several residents discover the body. One of those residents is Mizar, who works as a model and exotic dancer. I want to say a couple things. First of all, Mizar, the character of Mizar, is black. She's a, she's a, a black woman, and 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 throughout this film, there are some descriptions of her that are not appropriate by what we would consider, you know, by modern standards today, you would not refer to a black woman that way. It is... Uh... It's kind of fucking racist. Um... <laughs> yeah, there it is. There it is. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Um, you know, there. and let, let me tell you, the racism of this movie isn't the only thing that's out of step with the modern era. Oh, there's a few things. Yes. Yes. Yeah, there's, there's some sexism, some masochism. There, there, there's all kinds of stuff. There's... Uh, there's something else that I won't we'll, say. We'll get to also, it a little bit. Yeah, we'll absolutely. That's but but with this opening, this is another movie um, that has uh, in the you get it right here at the beginning where the there's the crowded elevator, yep. the killers in there with her, and then slowly people exit and he he kills her. This is a movie again. We're we're back in the middle of Rome. Yep. We're in the middle of the city. This is a movie where you don't die alone at night. I mean, sometimes you do. Sometimes you But do. you often die alone in the middle of a crowd of people in broad daylight in this movie. And that's Absolutely. one of the features 
Um, I, and I always have a little soft spot for Jolly that are like this. Apparently, I'm le- I'm learning that uh, the danger of being around people, as opposed to the danger of being alone. Yeah, and just just how ignored you are in the modern city. There's a particular scene later in the film that we'll get to that I think it, oh, you yeah. know, is, is right on the money with that. Uh, but even here, yeah, it's 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 a crowded elevator, and uh, the, you get uh, the, the some of the 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 members of the the, the people who live in the apartment building assemble and and watch it oh i should say where well, i was getting off track mitsar has 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 now she is a an exotic dancer and model uh she has a very unusual act at a nightclub she beats dudes up she yeah beats dudes up sex wrestling she goads them she goads them into hey if you can beat me i will have sex with you in the middle of this club for all of these weird rich guys um <laughs> yeah. so it, it's it, it, it's kind of like a feminist requiem for a dream. I'm not sure, Crit. I, I mean, can something be racist, sexist, and also feminist all at the same time? I think the answer may be yes. I, apparently, uh, at this club, I, I mean, it's, again, men are invited yeah. to, to wrestle. If they if they go, go wrestle her for three minutes and win, um, it, it's not entirely clear what happened. It seems like that that she might have sex with them, but apparently, she's never lost. So we don't really know what would happen, but. I mean, honestly, uh, even if you even if you lose, you win. Yeah. Well, in in this early, it's it's unclear, but I believe later when the inspector is is talking with the nightclub owner, that it comes out that like no one's ever whether it's whether it's the inspector kind of surmising that and putting the screws to the owner. We'll we'll get. I mean, that's not really yeah germane to the plot, but the owner the owner by the way is played by Luciano Pagosi. Yeah, a great impactful. It's not really a cameo it's a very small role but it yeah. is uh he's great you know i mean as as always he's great yeah no he uh, of numerous antonio margariti films as well as uh blood and black lace uh meanwhile you have two other models jennifer played by edwige fennick and her friend marilyn they're doing a photo shoot with what i took me a second to realize was painted on clothes yep oh boy that is uh sporty too yeah I think sporty they look, they're they're like uh I guess we would call them football jerseys, like racing. Oh, oh, maybe it is a racing because they're they're shooting a motorcycle. It's it's uh, they're trying to it's an ad for a motorcycle. They're they're sporty. They're sporty. They're very sporty, and it does you know the theme of motorcycles and motocross is something that's come up. Yes, I don't. It's so bizarre. It it doesn't really. It really doesn't impact anything but this must have been popular at the it time it must have been a thing yeah yeah because I, I had the same no, I get more in the in the second film but uh, you know because there's motorcycles front and center but it's like, like uh you always have a football player in American like 80s horror <laughs> movies but right. for no good reason it like football never is a factor but right uh, at the photo shoot is Andrea Bardo, played by George Hilton, who is an architect who is looking for models to promote his new building. Now, I feel like that's not really an architect's job. Like you, you'd have like a marketing person to to hire the the promotional models. I mean, that said, he gets to go to a photo shoot where Edwige Fennick is wearing just paint. So I suppose you know when you're the architect, you know that has its perks. Yeah, and the role. Uh, it just it comes into play a tiny bit when the the police are questioning him later on. Yeah, um, he he is an architect, but it all they also play it like he's the developer too. Yeah, so yeah. it's it's like it's like he is uh, what he's he's Frank Lloyd Wright and he is um, 
uh, Caruso uh, oh my here goodness. in Los Angeles, <laughs> like rolled into one, right? Uh, oh my god! <laughs> uh, towards the end of the shoot, Jennifer freaks out a little bit because she thinks she sees this guy named Adam. Uh, Adam was the leader of the sex cult that Jennifer recently left. That's right. She was recently part of a sex cult, but now has left. And it turns out Adam is waiting for her outside. And Adam says they're married, and he demands he re- that she return to him, but Jennifer refuses. Uh, oh, and by the way, the sex cult is called Iris, and the flower is the symbol. Yeah, and there's I, I'll call out because this movie goes in and out of doing interesting visual things. There are times that it feels kind of... Not, it's, and it's not bad, but just it feels a little more stock coverage. A little bit, yeah. But this sequence is nice when, uh, as she's, again, this is broad daylight outside. There are people around. And then they slowly, she seems to become a little more alone. Yeah. The people kind of recede. Yeah. She freaks out when she's, she sees the white iris on the ground, right. the flower, and then starts going. And there's this one shot where she is kind of looking over her shoulder, turns, I think, to her right, frame right, and is... uh going to go that way. And then all of a sudden Adam's shadow appears on that wall. Yes. And then she runs the other way, which, you know, logically makes absolutely no sense because if the shadow's <laughs> casting that way, she's running straight to him, but right. it looks really cool. It does. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so she recently left a sex cult and uh, you know, now she's just, she's working as a model and, and living with her, uh, her roommate who we'll get to in a minute because she's the roommate's insane. I also appreciate you know, that there wasn't, this movie didn't start with the flashback no. of her leaving the sex cult so that we're teed up. Right. We find out about it just in line when the dude comes to stalk her. And at first we, I don't know why I'm like, yeah, just do it this way. It's I great. like it. No, I agree. Yeah. I agree hundred percent. Absolutely. Uh, on the other hand, Mitsar comes home uh, after another victorious night of sex wrestling and decides to take the stairs, not the elevator, because, you know, there was a girl killed in that elevator the other night and, you know, she takes the stairs, but it's no help because when she gets into her apartment, the lights aren't working and someone's playing an audio tape of her sex wrestling show from that night. And there's a struggle uh, there's a really good, like, it's a really intense struggle. She takes a karate chop to the throat. It's like, holy shit. Oh yeah. That it, it actually, uh, it made me, it made me wince. Yeah. Uh, they sell it very well. Cause I'm just, my, yeah. I can feel it in my throat. And then, and then she wakes and she's knocked out and then she wakes up tied up in the bathtub where, uh, where, where she's, she drowns in the bathtub and the killer here. It has got that classic Giallo look with the black trench coat, the hat, and the mask. It's like combining the blood and black lace with the rubber gloves of Belly of the Black Tarantula. Yeah, and these gloves, they're not quite yellow. They they look almost trans they look the same color to me. It's the same kind of like yellow as like medical tubing or something. Old yeah. school medical tubing. Like Yes. Not not the modern clear plastic stuff. I don't know what new school medical tubing looks like, thankfully. It's just uh it's all transparent. Just, just like, yeah. Amazing what they can do. Transparent. They don't do the old timey, uh, you know, yellow rubber tubing that Von Helsing would have had when he was <laughs> transfusing <laughs> Mia or something. Yeah. Uh, so the cops then, you know, investigate the, this murder. The cops are then there at the, and then you have the police commissioner who, who is described as the commissioner, but he seems like he's more in the position of a lieutenant or a captain. Uh, and he is fascinated by rare stamps. Yeah. Like he's got this, and, and the way they play it, like, is like, oh, he's not paying attention to the case. He's he's working on his stamp collection. Uh-huh. It doesn't really interfere with his job. Like it's, 
you know, honestly, this guy deserves a hobby. That's okay. And then you have his flunky who his is flunky's coming. great. Yeah. Oh, and their relationship is, is a lot of fun. Look, I'll just say a lot of times, uh, even in, you know, American films, it can get a little hard to do the comic relief tone inside of a, a hard film, let's sure. say, right? Yeah. And then, uh, you know, comedy is different in different cultures. It can be different. So sometimes it, it, it can be really different when you're watching a movie from another another country, wherever you are. But this just, for me, works. I don't know oh, why. it totally These, does. They're so silly. Yeah. Um, and for whatever reason, it really actually does exactly what it should, which is it, it spells the tension and it's, you know, it's entertaining. Agreed, one hundred percent. It it doesn't it doesn't serve to make them buffoonish. They're not Keystone cops. They are most of the time actually pretty good. Yeah. Uh, but like it's just the interchange, like like the number two guy is actually pretty good at his job, despite the fact he constantly gets pegged for being a cop yeah. from like a mile <laughs> away. Like everybody, oh you're a cop. I'm like ah, you know. It's like so with Mitsar's apartment now vacant. Andrea invites Jennifer and Marilyn to move in, and I guess this is on the pretense of of want of like an inducement to you know get them to model for him. But like, I'm not clear why he can't just hire them. Like, like, it, like I don't understand the the, the transactionalness of it. Uh, I mean, again, it also seems to be outside of the purview of an architect. Yeah, he's managing this building now too. Like, yeah, but he claims to have never been there. He's the architect, the developer. And he's filling it with tenants. I, like next, if if he had shown up with a mop in the hallway, I wouldn't have been surprised. He does everything for this building, Chris. Absolutely. But they they invite him over for dinner, and we get we get to know Marilyn, uh, the, the, Jennifer's friend, Marilyn, who makes Carol from the strange vice of Mrs. Ward look like a stable and level headed friend. My. Goodness. I do think she's not as evil as Carol from that film. Yeah, well. She's just a loon. She's crazy. She's crazy. Like, like, you know, like she, you know, I mean, she's, first of all, she's got some of the best lines in the movie. Like, you know, Jennifer and I share everything. Like, uh, you know, I think she says at one point, no orgies, I get motion sickness. Yeah, when she's explaining, because after she said we share everything and she's given the eyes to George Hilton, uh, and then the other two are apparently not into orgies. So then she says that uh, as, to backtrack and say, oh, I was just joking. Jennifer oh, just oh. got out of a Jennifer just got out of sex cult. So maybe she's, you know, she needs to dial it back on the group sex. Uh, <laughs> but then Marilyn goes off to take a shower and we, while she's in the shower, we learn that Andrea has a blood phobia. Basically, he's the exact opposite of Mrs. Ward and her strange vice. Like, he is really, like, almost yeah. paralyzed by blood. Or is it an act? Dun, dun, dun. Or is it all an act? And then we get water coming from under the bathroom door. Marilyn, come on, are you finished yet? Please answer. Marilyn! Answer me, Marilyn! I'm a ghost! (laughs) Marilyn, have you gone crazy tonight? What's with you? Oh, my God, this is where they murdered that girl, Mizar. Murder isn't a joke, for heaven's sake, you idiot! Hey, big boy, what's the matter? You act like you did it. 
After that, it wouldn't surprise me if he made us move out. All right, I won't take baths anymore. Only showers. Who would do that in a bathtub where someone was just murdered? It's insane. <laughs> she becomes, she's channeling decades before, or almost decades, <laughs> a decade and a half. Anyway, she is channeling Shelly from Friday the 13th Part 3. She is, my God. Oh, it's amazing. This is the fake death scare where someone decides, I know what would be hilarious if my friends thought I was just murdered. Think I drowned or I was murdered. Except she's not a teenager. This is a full-grown lady (laughs) doing this. What is wrong with you? Andrea, like, she's like, well, maybe you're the murderer. And Andrea gives her a smack in the face, which then Marilyn just shrugs off. Like, he just hit you, girl. And 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 Marilyn shrugs it off like, well, I guess I was asking for it. And and honestly, my biggest question in all of this, this is what this is where I was like, this is what makes me crazy. Who's going to clean up all that water? I would have like a I would have like a breakdown if we had that kind of like flooding in our apartment. I'm like, what am I going to do? Who's going to clean up that water? I, I, you know, they're renters. They don't care. (laughs) (laughs) Andrea should. (laughs) Later that night, the killer actually sneaks into Jennifer and Marilyn's room. They share a bedroom, but not a bed. I I have to point out. Uh, And, but he's there for a moment. Then he disappears. And it's, it's a really interesting Oh, we'll get into that a little bit because uh, yeah, yeah, there's more there, to come. Yeah, more to come, but I will just lay this down here. Which <laughs> There's something about the bedroom and the appearance that, while it doesn't tell you 100% who it is, um, if you don't realize at least one thing about the killer at this point, I think you are... Uh, uh, you know, not an attentive viewer. Let's say there, there, there is that absolutely. <laughs> yeah, Jennifer and Marilyn meet the uh, uh, one of the other tenants, the professor and his daughter Sheila in in a bookshop, and uh, and I, I'll say right from the off, Sheila is very taken with Jennifer, which I can I could certainly understand. Uh, because holy goodness, does Edwidge Fennick look amazing in both of these movies? I mean, just oh yeah, uh, oh my god! It's, well, and it, coming up, there's an outfit of hers that oh, that she's I got need so many good outfits. For. No, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, it's just so uh, many well, good it, outfits. I guess yeah, I'll just do it now. It's I like to think of it as her Halloween business attire. I love she's it. She's in that black, that black with the orange trim, and it's kind of got like the trench coat. And yeah, I don't know if it's like a like a dress suit underneath. Almost, it's uh, it. I, I couldn't quite quite make out all of the fashion. Edwige Fennec in a tie is really, it's just, Oh, and the just, orange tie. Yeah. The orange pops. tie. It's, it's, yeah. And her oh, hair's jet great. black that goes with it. It's just all, it's just a it's, great look. It's a fantastic look. It is, it is a fantastic look. Um, the police find a love letter written to Mizar, who, who, uh, you know, someone who is who who wrote a love letter that again uses language that you wouldn't necessarily think you'd put in a love letter to a a, a woman of color. Like that's that's those are some choices. Um, but they 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 find this letter and they start looking at Andrea as a suspect for the murders. Yeah, and I think they even call out, uh, "Yeah, he's faking the blood thing." What yeah, a perfect I think they, cover. Oh yeah. You know, uh, I'll say this leads to some good uh, one-on-one. Oh yeah, with our lead cop and George Hill, the commissioner, and and Andrea. Yeah, there's 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 some good scenes, and and you know he, he kind of he's 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 
investigating very aggressively, but who knows? Is he on the right track? Uh, and Adam shows up at Jennifer's apartment at one point. He starts tearing off her clothes and he starts saying things. He's got lines like, from the day of our celestial marriage, you belong to me. And like, it's all of it. And, and, and the scene cuts away. We don't really know how that finishes it. Presumably he, uh, he, it seems like he forced himself on her, Yeah, but we don't know that for sure. Yeah. I mean, and he is, uh, um, oh, he's a bad dude. Yeah. And I, I don't know that the film is even thinking about doing, you know, this, but, uh, you do get that time capsule and I, I don't know what it's like in Italy now, but, um, he even said she's going to call the cops and he says, go ahead, tell them that your husband is here. Yeah. Re- essentially. Implying- I'm not sure if a celestial marriage really is, is, is yeah, has legally binding consequences. Like, I is that no like, it's unclear. Yeah. Like, is there a marriage license issued? Or was it just a, a celestial marriage license? Yeah, I don't know. The uh, the implication being that if he is the husband, uh, like whatever he's about to do is legal and the cops aren't going to do a thing about it. Um, and again, you, like you said, they don't finish the scene. They really don't ever come back to what the implication was at all. No. Um, except in one tiny way. But we'll we'll get there. We'll get to that. Uh, yeah, it's that's that's clue related. So right, and and Andrea and Jennifer they start dating, and they're going for what they have the cop following them. They're going for lavish eight course dinners. I was disappointed that none of these dinners were super weird. Like they were no, food. they were just sort of normal. They weren't centrally mouth feeding fish. They weren't <laughs> drawing, uh chewing on raw octopus that was alive. They're not. <laughs> They're not eating goulash, uh, you know, in a sexy manner. None no, of that. they just had it's, Irish coffee. You know, it's, that was, you know, that, you know, oh, yeah. that was, that was caught. Like, really? Okay. That's, um, yeah. the masked man enters Jennifer's apartment again. And this time he starts talking. Like there's a little bit of like conversation, but she gets away pretty easily and takes refuge in Sheila's apartment. And, and Sheila, Sheila has got the hots for Jennifer. Let's just just say it right now. She is a cartoon wolf going out. Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is exactly. very obvious. Yes, yes. Uh, and they return to Jennifer's apartment, and that's where they find an iris on the floor with blood on the petals, and Adam stabbed in the closet. Dun 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 dun. Yeah, and and the idea of now being that she had the a, a big motive to do this. Um, yes, to kill him. Uh, in addition to all of the past history, which we've seen some of in flashback, which was rather unsavory to say the least. You know, it's the sort of thing that that if all parties were consenting, uh, you know, it's all fine. But uh, you know, you get the impression he is clearly coercing these women. Yeah. Uh, into uh, into being his celestial wives. And that's, that is the problem. Yeah, I mean, they, he's played as the violent authoritarian head of this sex cult. The sex cult, uh, you then. know. Yeah. But what amazes me is that the police commissioner, after this happens, after Adam is killed in her apartment, the police commissioner wants Jennifer to continue living in the apartment as bait. Yeah. And he actually says that to It's bonkers. Even more unbelievable is that she says yes. Yes, she's like yes. Uh, this was this was another one of the scenes where I love the bit with the two cops, where one's looking for for glasses because he's going to have a drink at work because you know it's 1970s Italy and the cops would drink at work. Uh, I filed the glasses filed under B under B for bar equipment. <laughs> And, and, you know, with what happens to him at the end of this movie, I have to say it is rather unfair 
uh, because he is a damned fine assistant yeah. to the police commissioner. I think he, he's good. Uh, you know, he's just he's organized. He's organized. He's, you know, he's got, he's, he's doing the filing. It's not like, oh, I never got around to that. No, no. I, I think that's, uh, and the, the police, <laughs> it's me, the police investigation. The, the police actually discover something when they learn that Sheila was the one who wrote the sexually charged letter to Mizar. And that Sheila was was who the client, the prostitute at the beginning, was. she was the client that the prostitute was going to see. So, uh, you know, she likes the ladies. That's really what it comes down to. Yeah. And I think we're deep enough into this movie now that I do need to mention there has not been a single bottle of J and B in this entirety. It's shocking. It is a shocking turn of events. We get going, we get cognac, we yep. get gin, no J and B. Where were they? What where I, I don't I don't understand. Maybe they they, they think, had I think they all got I think all every last bottle of J and B was shipped to your vices. <laughs> well they must have been the shot at the same game. time. They came out yeah. literally within a week of each other. Um which is amazing. <laughs> But yeah, it must have all they must have all the JMB promo supplies must have gone to our second movie today. Uh, but yeah, it's it's largely absent here. Um, we do have a stunning one of the most stunning scenes in this movie is when Marilyn is killed in broad daylight oh, yeah. on a busy street. Like she, you see her, she's approaching. It's done from like a first person, you know, first person shot. She's coming towards the person. She clearly recognizes and, and is, you know, it's like, hi, how are you doing? And then she's stabbed. And, and what's amazing is you have this crowd. It's like a busy thoroughfare and nobody seems to even notice until finally Andrea rushes over. He's nearby and he rushes over and 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 then you start to see like the, the crowd starts to notice and the crowd thinks Andrea did it, which forces him to flee. Yeah, I mean, and that's so great, you know, when uh, Marilyn, because she's stumbling a little bit and, you know, the, the shock of being stabbed and dying uh, has her not thinking yeah. straight and she kind of sees, you know, sees him and then they, they kind of come to each other and just her hands are all bloody and the yeah. way she's smearing it on his uh on his jacket his coat yeah yeah it's great and then it really um, is. you know the you get the mob of people surrounding him and this is a, a great moment because it's such a wonderful reversal yeah you are anonymous in the crowd of people and you can just be murdered instantly and no one will notice or lift a hand right right but if you get the mob riled up, yep, you could potentially, and we know he's innocent at least of this killing, right? Because we saw that he was not there. I, I think, you know, maybe you could make a case that well between cuts, but like he was not there. He was far away. Agreed. And uh, you know, you can be innocent, and if the mob gets the wrong idea, they're gonna rip you apart. Yeah. Um, it's such a, I mean, that's just like the both of the worst things about living in a, in a big city, which is there's so many people you're anonymous and no one cares, yep. but also uh, mobs of people can do really bad things. Yeah. <laughs> That's the, there's the problem with mob justice. It's got a whole lot of the first word and not much of the second. Yeah, absolutely. 
Jennifer goes home and she hears what sounds like a male voice from uh, her her one of her neighbors on the same floor, Mrs. Moss, one of the, the the older woman who lives next door, who was one of the people who who found the first murder victim in the elevator. Uh, and she, Mrs. Moss, says she she lives alone, but Jennifer hears this male vo- voice coming from next door, so she decides to take it upon herself to break in. I'm not quite sure how she did it. She just seemed to be able to use her keys on the other door. It was a little weird. Like um like but she she breaks in and she finds that Mrs. Moss has a handicapped physically handicapped, you know, deformed large adult son named David who she has been hiding in a closet. Uh, it's a it's a large and well-appointed closet, but it's still a closet. And and this explains like she, she why she buys like true crime magazines and comic books and the type of thing that, that you know a generally an older woman in you know in Italy in the seventies probably wouldn't be reading. Uh, David attacks Jennifer, but Mrs. Moss steps in and she's pretty pissed that Jennifer broke into her apartment, as one might expect, whether the, her son is a killer or not. Yeah, and I the the small bit that I like because this has been a little bit of a runner throughout is the what this is still seventy two. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, even even in Italy, there was that belief that uh, getting a horror comic book meant that you were a sicko. <laughs> uh, yes. And that, that comes up at several points in here. And, it's, yeah. uh, you know, th- this this is one that I feel has much more of that uh, dirty, hairy POV on yeah. people in it. It's yes. this isn't like Fulci damn us all kind of a thing. No, no. Much, it's like, oh, these people are sickos. Sickos and they, yeah. you know, we need to we need to whip these people into shape. Wipe wipe the wipe the scum off the streets. Yeah. You know, and all you need is a few good men. And, Fire and, hose. I mean, yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but uh Andrea calls Jennifer and asks her to meet him at an automobile junkyard. At night, which doesn't seem suspicious at all. No, no. I mean, this place looks like where Freddy Krueger's bones were hidden in Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3, Dream Warriors. I thought the same thing. I thought the same thing. Like, it's got the cars stacked on top of each other. Yeah, all we're missing is John Saxon, who we will get (laughs) soon, but not in this one. (laughs) Oh, and, you know, and Andre is there, and then the, you know, but then the cops show up and scare him off, and, and you know, and it's it's I mean, it's an evocative scene, even though nothing really happens in it. It's a red herring set piece. That's oh, it is absolutely is. a red herring set piece. Back at the apartment building, Jennifer runs into Sheila, uh, and the two get in the elevator together, and but instead of taking them to their intended floor, it takes them down to the basement. And there's someone else in the basement. And and the killer attacks the girls with steam. He uses steam out of the steam pipes. And it burns Sheila's face and kills her. And then, as Jennifer hides, Andrea pops up. And it's like, oh, either this guy is the killer or he's got the worst coincidental timing ever. Yeah. And additionally... Jennifer has never been more stylish in her fur oh vest getting chased around. Oh my I, God. Like, you know, this lady, if, if she were to die, who would get her wardrobe, Chris? Because oh, it's, it it's is amazing. It's just, it's great. The style, I, I mean, you know, protects her from the steam a little bit. That, that animal fur. <laughs> Say what you you will about Italian films and necessarily, not necessarily having modern sensibilities, but God, the fashion and style of these movies is just 
off the charts. My God. It's it's just it's just amazing. Yeah, you know, Edwige Fennick is one of those actresses who just looks incredible in anything you put her in, and they put her in the most amazing stuff. I think we probably should put our spoiler line here at, at this point, so because we're getting towards yeah. the end. I think that's you know Jennifer at last decides she's going to move out of the building. Like enough bad stuff has happened, she's finally like, yeah, I'm I'm out. And uh, as she packs her bags, she can hear the professor playing his violin. And then the killer shows up again, and she runs over. She runs over to the professor's apartment for help, and in the professor's apartment, she finds David's dead body, and he's dressed like the killer, complete with rubber gloves. And she also finds a tape recorder with violin music on it. The killer enters, and he removes his mask, and it's the professor. You. What a shame. You almost got away. The tape recorder's an amazing machine. It's most useful. And the old lady's disfigured son? Now, don't compare me to that idiot. Although he's the one who gave me the idea. I found him one night dressed this way, standing beside Sheila's bed. They corrupted my daughter. All of you corrupted her. But then you murdered all of those girls. Yes. And now you're going to be murdered the way I murdered the others. He was killing these women because his homophobia was so deep, he couldn't deal with his daughter Sheila's lesbianism. So he decided to murder any women who he saw as tempting his daughter, the the, the prostitute at the beginning, Mizar, Marilyn, Jennifer. And, and apparently he meant to kill Jennifer with that steam blast, was shocked to discover it was his own daughter. And David, the, the, the deformed son, uh, I guess was just had been wearing this costume around the building, peeping on women. The professor saw him and said, "Oh, I'm going to wear that to kill people." Yeah, he and this is not surmising. Like he has the literal dialogue saying, "Yeah, he gave me the idea." Yeah, uh, <laughs> and you go, "Okay, I think something else may have given you the idea." But um, and this is one where, uh, how to put it. <laughs> There's obviously with the motive and and what's happening and why it you know it's obviously a very fraught uh, situation right yeah. and it is complex and you know except in this movie it it isn't right it is just treated as kind of the motive right and it's not endorsing that motive like he's clearly his no. killing is a bad no. thing. Like it's yeah, and no one else has a pro- like no one else has a problem with the homosexuality in this no. movie, as far as I can tell, or certainly not to this level. It's not yeah, the movie's not condemning it when it you know, it, but and they're, it's certainly not on the side of the killer, but it really is very surface level, I would say. So if it, you know, this doesn't feel like an exploration uh, in the way that even Bird felt just from a purely psychological standpoint, like you, by the end of it, you, you feel kind of the breakdown of the killer right here. It's kind of delivered more like, you know, the end of a Sherlock Holmes story or something like, here's the explanation kids. It's not really the movie itself. Isn't a deep dive into this stuff in the way that don't torture a duckling. No, no, it all feels more surface level. I mean, it, it it hangs together. It works, you know, like it's, it works, but it, it doesn't feel like it has the depth of say, yeah, don't torture a duckling or, or a film like that. It's, it is a more surface level psychological explanation. I guess the professor is going to pin the murders on David. 
and he's going to throw his body down the stairwell. He throws the body over the railing all the way down to the bottom floor. Which is an amazing body going down uh, the middle of the stairwell. I mean, it absolutely. It's a dummy or whatever, sure, but it looks good. I don't yeah. know. It's, yeah, it it's doesn't. Worth- it does not look like. It does not look like. Oh, they threw you know something stuffed with a bunch of straw over the thing. Like it has weight to it. Yeah, uh, and he's about to do the same to Jennifer when when Andrea shows up and and there's a struggle. There's some great shots as like the like people are are almost about to go over the balcony, like looking down. Like the way those are framed, it is like yeah. oh, that's a little. That's a little, uh, you know, sort of you know, vertigo-inducing. I, and I think it may be literally vertigo-induced. Vertigo. Yeah. Induced. Yeah, induced. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, but then Andrea is able to send – he's able to get the better of the professor and sends the professor flying to his death. And thankfully, the professor's confession was caught on his own tape recorder, so there's no doubt about his guilt to the police. Oh, and we also learn about Andrea's blood thing. Uh, where we learned that his phobia came from when his father was killed in a car wreck and the blood dripped on his face. And so his blood phobia was real. Yeah, and he has to overcome th- – and this part felt so Hollywood American to <laughs> yes. me. Uh, where he has to overcome his blood phobia at the end to, to win the himself. fight. Yeah, it, I was I was very surprised. I'm like, this is so un-Giallo-like. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, and then we get like, you know, that's sort of the the ending. And we get this sort of strange final scene where another girl who looks like Jennifer but isn't is calling on a payphone and being told to come up. Like, uh, you know, come up. I'm alone. And Sheila's dead. Uh, I don't know if it's I, – honestly, I just don't know what the meaning of it is. Was it supposed to – I don't know. I, I thought it was a flashback to the opening, although I did not go back to look. I thought it was a different girl. Oh, um, but again, I like this film. It's not, it, it, as you said, I think uh, now, before we started talking, it feels like sort of middle of the road. It's like, it's, yeah. it's, it's a solid giallo, uh, but it's not like an exceptional one. And, and again, it feels like it's no. in the, the Martino vein, but Martino himself didn't direct it. Yeah. So it's not nearly as sleazy, uh, which will be corrected uh, momentarily. Yeah, no, this was, it was fun. It was enjoyable. I, I don't know that I'll be wa- rewatching it anytime soon. Uh, watch it again sure down the road maybe at some point but uh you know definitely worth checking out absolutely within a week of the release of the case of bloody iris another film came out written by ernesto gestaldi produced by luciano martino and starring edwidge fennec this time directed by sergio martino and bankrolled by j and b absolutely bankrolled by j and b because it is all over the place in your vice is a locked room and only i have the key The title, Your Vice is a Locked Room and Only I Have the Key, comes from one of the notes, which you may remember if you listened to the whole, if you've been listening to the whole series, that was left for the titular Mrs. Ward in Sergio Martino's first giallo, The Strange Vice of Mrs. Ward. Uh, The film was also released under a few other titles, including Gently Before She Dies, Eye of the Black Cat, and 
excite me. <laughs> ha! <laughs> I of the black cat fits because you get those the 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 cat all over. Well, this movie. yeah, I mean, honestly, this, th- this movie does feel like someone walked into a room and said, "What if Edgar Allan Poe fucked?" <laughs> <laughs> Yes. And someone else said, yeah. Yes. Uh, well, I, I got, yes. Well, it, it was written by Ernesto Gastaldi, Adriano Bolzoni, and Sorrow Scavellini. And the film was loosely inspired by Edgar Allan Poe's story, The Black Cat. Very loosely. <laughs> very loosely. I, I have read that story. It is very loosely inspired. But, but I'll tell you what this movie gets on the money. The film is very different from some of the other Gialli that we've watched. Um, and and one of the reasons is, like Dort Touch or a Duckling or Bay of Blood, this film is not set in a major city, but in the countryside. But this time in the northern Italian area of Padua. And there's an air of crumbling Renaissance decadence that is absolutely this movie's absolutely thick with. And you know, the 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 house. That is the the set of most of the action. This movie is just seems like it is a crumbling. It's like the Italian Renaissance version of the House of Usher, and it is really yeah. it captures Poe through it, oh, an Italian lens like nothing else. I've I've never seen that. It it does it expertly. The Poe that I that I brought to mind, or it brought to my mind, was Mask of Red Death from that way. Of just um, absolutely, absolutely the, the, the crumbling debauchery as, yeah. as death is coming for you. Uh, although you may also be death yourself, you get the sense of this is a place that at one point produced great works of art, but those days are long gone. Yeah, and that's very true of of the House of Usher of 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 some of Poe's. Or is there's that lost greatness that is replete with Poe, and I feel. Very strongly here. Oh, and which is why it's a great visual metaphor for our uh, our male lead here. Who? Oh is, yes, uh, yes. Terrible, terrible. Oh god, being. he's the he's just the worst. He is he is. We'll we'll get to him. He's just the worst. Uh, the film, I gotta say, has got an all star Giallo cast. We have. Edwidge Fennec, we have Anita Strindberg from Case of the Scorpion's Tail, Lizard, the Woman's Skin, and Who Saw Her Die. We have Luigi Pistilli from Case of the Scorpion's Tail and Bay of Blood, as well as Strange Vices, Ivan Rasimov. And I learned something interesting in researching this film. Sergio Martino originally wanted to cast Edwidge Fennec to star in The Case of the Scorpion's Tale, but she was unable to do it because she was pregnant at the time. So instead, he hired Anita Strindberg. And here we have two giallo queens coming face to face and going head to head. And honestly, Rob, they are two of the most striking women in totally different ways. I, I, I this, was, this was the movie I was waiting for. My God. It is the heat of giallo. That was right? what I and was gonna get- say. Oh, I have it. Oh my god, you got to it first. Yes, I have. Yes, yes. <laughs> it, it is. is. It and, absolutely and is. Love, yeah, and their performances in this film could not be They're more great. different. I mean, because the characters are so different, right? And the way that they play off each other, because. Strindberg uh, gets to be a little more unhinged almost from the get-go. Absolutely. Because she is trapped in a terrible marriage with an abusive husband. Terrible. Physically abusive husband and mentally and verbally and emotionally. Sexually. He's abusive in all of the the ways. The full full boat. 
Yeah. Yeah. And then um, Edwige Fennec, normally this this will annoy me in a lot of horror films. She is the character who kind of is uh, the free spirit who does not yet realize she's in a horror movie until much, much later. Right. And I, or Giallo. That is true. But somehow it really is, uh, it functions as such a great foil between the two yes. because of the weird love triangle or hate oh, triangle. Yeah. Oh, we'll get to it. The, the, well, it's it's a triangle uh, of some kind. Yeah. And each Fennec is great in this movie. She was great in Case of the Bloody Iris in very different role. And in, in, in we've seen her in three films and in Strange Vice of Mrs. Ward. And she's played very different roles in all of them. And she's terrific. Uh, Martino actually admitted that the, the role of Floriana in this film should have been played by someone younger, should have been like an 18 or 19 year old. But he aged the character up because he wanted to cast Edwidge Fennec. Yeah, I mean, right call. Right, absolutely. Uh, right call. It, <laughs> sometimes you just need to hire, you know, those 55 year olds to be uh, the teenagers <laughs> breaking into the Bay of Blood. Oh, <laughs> good. <laughs> uh, and, and listen, folks, if you were worried that this film's literary origins might translate into a decline in the sleaze factor, rest assured that that is not the case. Uh, we open with an image of two people having sex just in sort of in the background, like in, in, in you know, while we're having the opening credits, just sort of blurry in the background. We then cut to a debauched party at the house of Oliviero, a former teacher and writer whose mother was a countess and whose house Oliviero has inherited. And there he hosts these wild parties with this group of hippies that live in the area and he tortures his wife Irina, played by Anita Strindberg and his maid Brenda. And Oliviero is a sick bastard. Like, he is just a sick fucking bastard. Yeah, I mean he, it's almost like you've you've gotten a time machine and, and transported a Lars von Trier character back into early 70s Italy just to make this giallo. Oh my god. I mean, he, you know, like masochist, sexist, racist. He makes his wife drink out of a, a punch bowl filled with everybody as leftover booze. Yeah. He gropes his, his, his maid in public, who is also black, and we have a lot of the same racially insensitive language is used here that was also in Case of the Bloody Iris. But like this guy's just just a bad bad dude. Yeah, and if I uh, let's say you know this this party is just off off kilter oh, and, yeah. and insane, right? Yeah, and if you know lots of bad things happening, debauchery, I, I you know lots of lots of things, and if I owned let's say a Scotch brand, <laughs> I would a hundred percent. Want to make sure that both during and after this scene, everyone knew this party was fueled by J and B. It's all over place, baby. It is all over the place. Absolutely. Only J and B can make a party go that hard. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, honestly, it reminds me of the 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 parties at 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 uh, the the house in a Lizard and a Woman's Skin, but somehow meaner. Yeah, like meaner, yeah. like like yeah, th th those were sexy. Those felt like kids who were who who didn't know what they were really getting into. Yes, you know, it's like oh, yeah. I'm going to experiment was, with this stuff, yeah. but I don't really here. It just feels mean. Like he he knows it's evil and he likes it. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. And and I gotta say, uh, uh, Pistilli is really good in this movie, despite the fact that it's a thoroughly unlikable role. Oh yeah, like he's really good. 
playing that character. Uh, although it is a really sweaty performance, because God, he's it, sweating it in every scene, uh, literally. And for such a all-in bad guy, like there's never a moment in this movie where you think the movie is trying to make you understand his motives in a, in a way that would absolve what he's doing. No. Um, f- for being so one-dimensionally bad in that way, it is a very three-dimensional performance yes. where you do get other sides of, of the character. Again, none of it is being presented as, oh, and so you should kind of like sympathize a little bit with him or no, it's, it's all there as, is part of the character and explanation, the frustrated uh, artistic side yep. uh, because he is now artistically impotent Yep. Um, where you get that leading to male violence. Uh, another theme through many, many Gialli. Absolutely. Uh, not always artistic impotence, uh, but impotence of some kind. Sometimes it's literal impotence. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. it's, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, absolutely. It, it, and he has quiet moments where yeah. you can see where he can charm people like what because when you're this bad there's often that question how and why would a group of people be there why is anybody hang out with him like why you know like why is anybody even deal with this dude and you can yeah. you can he's got it yeah it's, how did he get married like yeah you see that you can see where he could charm before yes. he lets you see the other darker side Yes, absolutely. 100%. It, it's, uh, I should also mention that hanging around is Oliviero's black cat named Satan, which once belonged to his mother. And holy shit, is this cat all over this movie? Chris, I would imagine that there is as much B-roll of that cat <laughs> and that <laughs> painting of his mother. The painting of the mother, which that, the cat is in. Yeah, so that's like She's a holding dip. the cat in the painting. So I, I think that there's probably enough B-roll f- that they shot that would equal the <laughs> runtime of the movie. They just didn't use it all because there is uh, this movie's got to be ten percent cat, right? Like, yeah, it's it's a, it's a it's a solid ten percent cat. It's ten yeah. percent cat. It's ten percent J and B, uh, and uh, and and another ten. It's another ten to fifteen percent fashion because again, some of the clothes. Uh, first of all, in the aftermath of this party, a distraught arena puts on the dress of Oliviero's beloved late mother, whose portrait, as you mentioned, hangs in the house, and. This dress is going to become a thing because it's it's it looks like this like medieval Renaissance gown. Although apparently Oliviero's mother only died a few years earlier, but like it, it's um, Anita Strindberg is the first one to put it on, and she looks amazing in this. And but Oliviero's reaction, of course, then is to beat and rape rape his wife. Like that's his reaction to seeing his wife in his mother's dress is he beats her and rapes her. This guy is the worst. He's just the worst. That's kind of his Pavlovian reaction anytime a woman puts on this dress in the movie. Yeah. Uh, spoiler alert, not done with the dress. Gonna no, no, we're going to have more with the dress. There's more with the dress. Getting into this, because it's a little, just to contrast it with Bloody Iris, right? Yeah. This is a movie that has a lot, the, the psychological motivations in this movie are very, very twisted. Yes. They don't ever go in to explain exactly what his relationship with his mother was. Yeah, it wasn't normal, I'll tell you that. We're getting clues from his behavior in the yeah. present, but there's no real flashbacks. They don't they don't give you the backstory of like the one time they were at the pond. Yeah. Um and you know, I, I find that it's it's 
in a way, kind of very layered and a little more real in a way that these aren't always. Yeah. Again, I don't think that this movie's saying anything, which is bizarre because normally when you're doing that kind of layered psychological stuff, oftentimes there's intent, you know, to make a make a mark one way or another. This right. movie is just doing it all in service of being a really twisted ass kind of giallo film. Italian Poe. Yeah, yeah. It's right on the money. It's right on the money. The next day, Brenda's bringing bottles out from the night before, and the the local older woman who picks them up says that Oliviero's mother was a countess and a harlot. Uh, And I have to mention that the old lady sounds exactly like the junk woman from Labyrinth. The one towards the end oh, of the movie yeah. that tries to convince Sarah to stay in her room and play with her toys. I mean, I'm sure it's just a coincidence, but when I tell you it's it's uncanny. God, I think that 40 years ago, I was working in this house with his mother, the countess. Now there was a harlot brought him into the world. Those were the days. And Oliviero and Irina go into town, which is this beautiful northern Italian town. It is also the horniest town in Italy, which is really, really saying something. Yeah, you're not even safe at a bookstore. No, no. no. Oliviero goes to a bookstore where his mistress and former student Fausta works. Uh, Meanwhile, Irina stays in the car and is ogled by a bunch of local guys, including the the grocery delivery guy who frequently brings stuff to the house and had a thing for Brenda. And in his own words, quote, I like salt and pepper on my meat. Yeah, it's uh, (laughs) and and I'll say it's played that. Because she's already psychologically distressed from the get-go in this movie. Yes. And I'll say that it reads as when these guys are ogling her in not a great way. No. It doesn't necessarily read that she is 100% bothered by this. No. It's a difficult time for Irina. Like, she doesn't have the greatest home life, but... uh... No, and that's how I think it plays. It's not that she is hot to trot for these guys. No, no. It's more like... The guy at home is awful. Maybe this is safer male attention. Like, yeah. maybe one of these guys would come and take care of a problem for her or something, you know? Who knows? Yeah. Oliviero goes out that night to meet his mistress, uh, Fausta, the girl who works the bookstore. And, and, and she arrives first uh, at the local rock quarry, which is a natural romantic spot to, that you'd want to meet your lover. You know, it's like... It's like the setting of, of like a half a dozen Doctor Who stories from the 70s. It's just the local quarry. All right, Chris, I- insert unit joke here. Um, <laughs> there you go. Um, but waiting for her, Oliviero's not there. Waiting for her is a man in a black trench coat. And, and really up until this point, this film hasn't really felt like a giallo, but this sequence is pure giallo. You know, like there's a, he, she looks and then the guy's gone and then he's there again and then he's gone and then she's chased by this figure and he kills her with a bill hook. I, you know, like right out of, right out of Bay of Blood, the bill hook makes its return as a, an instrument of death. Yeah. And this sequence, there's, there's a little nice thing. When she first arrives, it feels like it's broad daylight. Yep. But then as you're going a little bit, as she's walking in the sky and I, it's hard for me to tell this is an old not cleaned up print that I saw on, uh, you know, one of the fast streaming services. Oh yeah. 
So then it feels like it's a little overcast. But then as soon as the guy kind of, as soon as she knows, oh, I'm going to be chased because someone wants to murder me, it feels like it instantly goes to like deep blue, dark sky nighttime. Yes. Yes, Um, absolutely. And and I bring this up not, to me, it doesn't feel like in so many of these movies where it feels like mistakes or they just kind of ran out of time or whatever, right? This feels like it actually is stylistically on purpose a choice yeah Yeah, absolutely well let me say this i watched it on uh on on a a beautiful blu-ray print that from arrow films blu-ray and it it's the same it's the same bag yeah uh the police afterwards they come to talk to uh, oliviero uh they are aware that he and the murdered girl were having an affair he denies seeing her that night and gets his wife to cover for him and they also discover all of those empty J and B bottles in the room. <laughs> there's, there's so all- much. There's so <laughs> much. I hope I mean, that I, I cannot believe how much J and B there is in this. <laughs> well, what's hysterical is that in a short while, like the 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 delivery guy from the grocery store is going to show up, and he, his his it must be ninety percent. Like their grocery delivery must be ninety percent J and B scotch. Yeah, like- I think so. <laughs> Um, Oliviero tells Irina that he he didn't meet with the girl last night, that he had a tire blowout and and says that that if he he, he kind of gets into, well, you know, if I was going to kill anybody, I would kill you. Presumably that makes her a little nervous. So, yeah. yeah, she needs to go uh, check on this story. She checks the tire. The tire's fine. So uh, Oliviero, though, he, he he's he's sitting there. He's brooding. He's drinking his J&B and he doesn't want the hippies tonight. So he sends the hippies away. And that evening, on a dark and stormy night, Brenda the maid decides to try on Oliviero's mother's dress. She's kind of hanging out in her room. And just to give you a sense, she seems to be looking at porn. She seems to be reading porn and decides there's there's nothing more that I want to do next than to put your employer's dead mom's dress on and and she's she's looking at herself in the mirror she's she's touching herself as she does it it's super weird especially because when you look at this dress this does not look like the kind of dress that would provoke that reaction in a person but maybe i at least I, not to my taste i don't know it's all right i i liked it i liked it <laughs> <laughs> And, and and so anyway, the the that she at the same time the some a figure enters the house and she too finds herself killed with by a by a figure with a bill hook. And it's a very suspenseful sequence. Like it's it's like the the door flies open. It's it is literally a dark and stormy night, and she's she's dead on the floor. And and Irina and 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 uh, Olivier will find the body and and. Knowing that he is already a suspect in Fausta's murder, Oliviero insists they hide the body rather than call the police. So they end up bricking Brenda's body up in a wall in the cellar. And then stupid-ass Oliviero insists on keeping the dress and tells Irina to wash it. Honestly, everything Oliviero does to this point is so stupid that I figure there's no way he's the killer. Because like if he was the killer, he'd be you know, he'd be like, oh, brick the dress up with the girl. I'd bury her like a hundred miles away in a hole in a field. But that's logical thinking. These are not these are not tips, by the way. This is just the logic yeah. of it, you know. But that's logical thinking, Chris. This guy has a thing for his mom and that yeah, dress. yeah. So he's it's... not he's not thinking rationally about no. this thing. 
Um, it's around this time too that um, Irene, uh, you know, the, the makeup they give Anita Strindberg. Oh yeah, where it's like the eyebrows, which are already kind of plucked arched in a certain way, they start to have this makeup kind of go down from the inside of the eyebrows, like on the the bridge of her nose down, where it's it's so striking because in certain angles. Um, it, it reads more naturally, but from when you're dead on the front, yeah, I swear to God, it looks like, you know, like German expressionist makeup from like Caligari or something. Yeah. It's absolutely so striking. It's, it it it's is. And really, and Anita Strindberg, who, who, you know, if you've listening to this podcast, you'll, you'll know she is a, 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 an incredibly gorgeous woman. And it, it's interesting how like, it's like she had the, the, would allow herself to kind of get made up in this almost, it almost borders on grotesque. It's, she's still very attractive, but like she allows herself to look more and more unhinged. And as you say, it's almost like German expressionism uh, in, in a seventies giallo film. It's, it's amazing. And credit to her. Like yeah. she had, she did not have vanity. And, and her performance has been ratcheting up to match yeah. this. So they, yeah. they are going together because at this point, um, you know, I mean, she's been being tortured for a long time, uh, and we've been watching it for, I don't know, at this point, like 45 minutes or 60, whatever it is. Um, and it's, you know, it's just one of the great unhinged female performances uh, in Giallo. It genuinely is. I, I Over the course, I think we've had, this is the third movie with Anita Strindberg, the fourth movie with Anita Strindberg, actually. Um and I just think she's terrific. I think she is she is uh, she is fantastic um, in in all of them. You know, in some of them she didn't have as much to do, but like I feel yeah. like she's just a, an actress of real talent. This, this may be the best role that she gets, that I see oh her, yeah at least in this. Like this is the most she's she's this is a real part. This like, is the crowning achievement. No, there's no question. Yeah. Like it's 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 fantastic. Not that I wouldn't have loved to see. An, uh, you know, half a dozen Cleo Dupont movies <laughs> where know. she's solving mysteries, but this is this is like on another level. There's no question. Yeah, that that's her Columbo. This is her a woman, uh, uh, a woman under, under the, the influence. influence. Yeah, yes. yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Um, of course, when you've just had two murders in your orbit and have just hidden a body in your house, there's no better time for a visit from a relative. Nope. Not at all. <laughs> Enter Floriana, played by Edwige Fennec, now sporting this incredibly stylish short haircut. Rob, eh, oh boy, it, she just, she honestly, I'll say it, I'll be perfectly frank, she took my breath away in this movie. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I'm not sure that you would call it a, quite a bob because it has that little curl that comes up in front of the face from the end yeah uh and, and look in bloody iris uh her hair was longer and it looked like a gorgeous uh horse's mane uh, absolutely uh, absolutely so really any way you slice her hair it's going to be fantastic apparently. amazing but uh and the style here though i think also very much implies that she's a city girl yes coming she's come from country. paris if i'm not mistaken Oh, there you go. And yeah. very stylish. And there you uh, go. and that her moors are not the same as um anyone else's in this picture. No. Um yeah. And there's an interesting moment before she arrives, they go to the train station to pick her up. 
And um, before before she gets there, like another girl is getting off the train and she's groped by some Italian soldiers before being picked up by her mother or her aunt or someone. I think it's her aunt. Um, and I just want to mention that because it's going to come back later. Uh, Floriana is not on the train herself, but she shows up at the train station in a car because someone was gill- willing to give her a ride. And I just think, I mean, it just shows this is a girl who can get what she wants from people with with ease and it's understandable why i mean it's just it's just amazing oh also at the train station we see ivan rasimov's character for the first time lurking in the background for this movie rasimov sports striking gray hair yeah. and i i don't even know what his name was in the movie but he's the he's the gray-haired man and it's not long before he appears again this time at olivero's house delivering his mother's dress newly cleaned and Olivero, Olivero freaks out when he realizes that the dress has been dry cleaned. With and and he and despite the fact Irina denies sending it out, he responds by locking her, beating her, and locking her in a closet. Um, by the way, it's very clear that uh, Olivero from the from the jump wants to have sex with his niece. I mean, that is uh, that is apparent. Yeah, and you know, she when she comes in, you get the contrast also where. The um, Irene, the main female character that we've been with, yeah. is so not in control. Yes. So up to this point in the movie. And the niece coming in, just even from the can get someone to, you know, take her in. But just she is of supreme confidence. She owns any room that she walks in. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's so striking. And, and how, um, you know, he treats... Floriana versus how he treats Irene is also radically different. Very much so. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And how she treats him back. Yeah. Like that's, that's, it's the, the dynamic there. Like she's not, you know, she's not taking shit from no one. Yeah. But there always is there. It seems to a point though, where with her, when she pushes back, it does always seem to be within the dance of foreplay. Yes. You know what I mean? That for yeah. her, there's a game that she likes to play as well. Because, yeah. spoiler alert, the niece ain't so innocent. Who is it? Excuse me, I just wanted to get some notes out of this closet. You need some stationery? No, I'm just writing down addresses. Now, would she or wouldn't she? However sad the world of Oliviera Rouveni, however unimaginative, his niece Floriana stands poised to help her helpless uncle enjoy life again. What, uh, what made you decide to visit us? Hearing the news about Anestra's kicking the bucket, just didn't get it together till now. What have you heard about me? Nothing. Just the usual, that since you got married, your illustrious brain has gone sterile, that you're a brute, an alcoholic, and a drug addict, etc., etc. Etc., etc. Incidentally, is it true you slept with your mother, Oliviero? When you were already grown up, I mean. Is it true about you being a two-bit whore? Well, they might be considered two bits well spent. 
Floriana releases. She goes and finds Irene, Irina in her closet, the closet she's been locked into. And in what I am, you know, you've already alluded to this, but I'll say it. I had it in my notes. The Giallo equivalent of the coffee shop scene from Heat. We get Edwige Fennec and Anita Strindberg and a sex scene between the two of them. And Rob, sometimes a movie gives you everything you want. But the one thing, though, Chris, and actually, I'll say... Uh, just to stick with the love scene for one second. It's, oh, please. You know, it's somewhat tastefully done, I guess, oh. considering. Oh, it was tastefully. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Terrible. Um, a terrible person. But they, they dropped the ball on the landing because after the scene when they call Aunt Millie. <laughs> yeah. She's not drinking J&B Scotch. She's drinking Fernet Branca. <laughs> true it's true which starts a disturbing trend of fernet branca taking over in the middle of this movie from j and b and i want to know what happened Did they lose the contract halfway through shooting i don't know i don't know uh, we we cut back we cut back to the girl who was groped at the train station and and what is in a, in a twist that is sort of perfectly emblematic of this movie the woman who picked her up is i think her madam like, she's a yeah. prostitute, First, and the yeah. woman is her madam. It might still be her aunt. Yeah. Like, it might be her aunt and madam. But the girl is, is uh, you know, she's she goes, she's sleeping. Her madam is making arrangements for her to have, meet some clients the next day. Uh, she's not up for it for that night because she's already, she's traveled, and that takes a lot out of you. By the way, that, that young prostitute is sleeping in a room with what? Uh, like oh, shitload of dolls. Creepy dolls. It's yeah. a real fucking problem. It's really, really upsetting. Like, there's so many dolls. And it's like Annabelle looking dolls. This is not, these are not Barbies. This is creepy, creepy. Yeah. And, and, and one, like, when you drop it on the floor, it makes noise. It's really unsettling. It's unsettling. And the killer pops out. Like, she gets up and she, she thinks she hears something. Killer pops up and stabs her. And, and in a similar shot to uh, Four Flies on Grey Velvet, she goes down this long staircase head first, although this time the camera's pointed back at her feet rather than at her face. And then, in what was the most surprising move of all, the killer himself is killed by the ant slash madam. Holy, holy shit! It's, it's, and it's it's just some guy. It's like, yeah. it's uh, you know, uh, I, I want to take a, I want to pause here to mention both of the movies we're talking about today had scores by written by Bruno Nicolai, and they are both fantastic scores. They are terrific. Absolutely. And, um, uh, you know, Bloody Iris, that score, I feel like you could put on at a party in the background. <laughs> this <laughs> yeah, score, you totally. This score would not. You would no, not do no, that. No, wouldn't it's go fantastic, on a party. It is incredible. Yeah. I, I would say that this is the score you would write to. If you yeah. were listening. Yeah, well, it depends on what you're but, writing, I suppose. Yeah, you're probably not writing uh, a rom-com to it. Uh, or, or are you? Or, That's, yeah. yeah, there it is. Um, and it turns out the killer was the bookstore owner who was, who was there at the bookstore. We saw him in the bookstore scene, and it turns out he was really an escaped lunatic for whom, according to the cop, quote, Killing women gave him a sexual gratification. So that would seem to get Oliviero off the hook. Like, I mean, you still got a dead girl bricked up in his basement, but like, the killer's been unmasked. Yeah. Sure, everything will be fine from here on out. That might have been a good time to say, hey, 
there's a body down here. I, I hit it because I I knew I was innocent, but you were after me. Yeah. That might that Maybe? might have been the thing, but no. Maybe? No. no. Uh, in the meantime, Floriana starts an affair with the local delivery guy who also turns out is really into dirt bikes and takes her to a dirt bike race. Yeah, little motocross. Well, if we remember from The Strange Vice of Mrs. Ward, each Phoenix character in that is watching dirt bike races on TV while her friend goes to drop off the the, the ransom money. And it's like, I don't know if it's a Martino thing or if it was just really big in Italy in the early 70s, but there's a definite dirt bike thing going on. Which now, because I'd had a big giallo-sized hole in, in my viewing, but now in retrospect, uh, happy birthday to me, totally paying <laughs> tribute to Gialli. Oh, uh, yeah. Not just with the murder mystery, but with all of the motorbike action. All the motorbike. I mean, they use a motorbike as a weapon of, of death in that movie uh, to great effect. And you get to see the, the race on the That's dirt. That's true. On yeah. the motorbikes. I, I didn't know that this was a prerequisite. Yeah. And then Floriana and the grocery guy slash motorbike enthusiast go have sex in a like what feels like the top floor of a barn. Yeah. And Oliviero's watching them. But J and B dropped the ball again because that again. that bike race is not sponsored by J and B. There's a giant Frenette Bronca. What uh, is going on with the uh, Frenette Bronca? All of a sudden, it's like it, it, out of nowhere. It's J&B versus Frenette. We've seen this in other movies in the past a little bit, but <laughs> nothing like this. It has exploded oh. the war between the two. Oh, my God. And it's around this time that, that, that the cat, <laughs> Satan, the cat, uh, gets into the coop of birds that Irina keeps and to eats the birds it's a bloody mess and Irina retaliates by stabbing out one of the cat's eyes uh, with a pair of scissors and the old lady who collects cans the one I mentioned earlier uh, she she sees that happen that is going to be important later yeah and uh, number one this is again some top shelf eyeball gore yeah oh cat. yeah it's quick it's quick but it's 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 sublime. there oh yeah and uh the junk cart lady um We've seen her before this point, but it, it was particularly in this scene that she just felt like a character from a Miyazaki film. Come <laughs> totally, to life. totally, Where absolutely. Just, like the way she talks and just. Which honestly, if you think about Labyrinth and that junk character who sounds just like her, oh, yeah. also set yeah. fe- like you know because the way it's like she's she's got this pack of things that's piled impossibly high that she's kind of carting around. Like it does feel like a character from a Miyazaki film. Absolutely. Floriana is the next person to decides to put on Oliviero's mother's dress. And uh, holy shit, does she look great in it? Like with the short black hair, it, it, she honestly, Rob, she honestly looks like a very sexy Snow White. I mean, I know they're doing a live action Snow White, but I. That's a family film, yes. I think, I, well, <laughs> I think I've seen my live action Snow White. I think that's all the live action Snow White I'll ever need is, is Edwidge Fennec in that dress. Um, which she then proceeds to seduce her uncle, uh, which frankly she probably could have done without the dress, but the dress just doubles down on it because. Seals the deal. Yeah. Yeah, he's clearly got a mommy thing. It shows thing. that she cares. It, yeah, you know, you know yeah. it's... Uh, and and Oliviero blames Irina for the missing cat. The cat has not been seen in some time. And uh, uh, he blames Irina for it. And he threatens her life over it. Irina. Where did these come from? Do you mind answering me, Irina? I... 
lost the other one, so it's like a new pair. It's odd. Why? The cat's been gone now for two days. He hasn't come around at all, not even to eat. Don't you find that rather odd? What have you done to him? Have you hurt him? Are you crazy? Why should I hurt the cat? Because you would have loved to have hurt him. And I know why. Because you hate poor Satan. Because he belonged to my mother. And because now he belongs to me like you never did. Because he's a part of me like you can never be. Because you're a stinking, rotten, lousy slut! Please, Oliviero. Please stop it. I can't take this torture anymore. It wouldn't take much of a push. One small push. He almost goes to stab her. Like, he goes to stab her, but then he doesn't. Like, he he stabs off to the side uh, and in the bird coop. And, and Floriana's watching this. It's... These people are demented. These people are demented is really what it comes down to. It's Poe. It's it's it is Italian Poe. It's perfect. And you're getting a lot of, you are getting uh, every now and again cutting to uh, Satan the cat on the prowl or at least, yeah. or you're hearing the meows. <laughs> and they are not nice meows. No, no, no. no. It's good, you know. Screeches. Uh, the, three, yeah. the three go for a picnic near the edge of a cliff where Floriana and Irina plot Oliviero's murder. Uh, seemingly not that far away. Like he can, he's just over by the edge of the cliff. I feel like he could have heard you. You know, if you're going to plot his murder, you might want to be a little more careful about it. Um, and then later at home, Floriana plots with Oliviero about Irina's murder. And it's at this point that I realized what this movie is. Rob, we are in a sexual yojimbu. Oh, yeah. Or for your know, Western fans, a sexual fistful of dollars, if you like. But that sounds worse. Yeah. <laughs> sounds yeah, worse. Yeah, it does. Um, so, you know, like she's she's clearly trying to play the, the ends against the middle. Uh, and I think we should put our spoiler line here on me a little early because things are going to get heavy and, and, and from here on forth. So... The cat returns, and Irina finds that the wall in the basement where they hid Brenda's body is open, and it indicates that Oliviero plans to kill her and put the body in there as well, put her body in there. She finds him passed out at his typewriter, having typed over and over and over again, kill her and hide her in the cellar wall, like he's Jack Torrance. This movie came out five years before Stephen King's novel, The Shining, and eight years before Stanley Kubrick's film adaptation, but you can't help but think of it, the writer just typing this one phrase over and over again. Yeah, the the alcoholic writer who can't write, who has violent tendencies. Violent tendencies. Yeah, I mean, I, I it's... I, I, I have to wonder, is this a movie that Stephen... Was this an inspiration for Stephen King in writing the novel? I mean, it's... There's been a couple of, of scenes in Giallos that feel very connected to scenes from The Shining. There was the maze, the the the, the chase in, yeah. in the hedge maze that felt like it was. I'm like, I just I wonder how these movies if they were the influence that these movies have. So Irina, she finds him there. He's passed out, drunk. Uh, I can't remember whether which which alcohol he was drinking in that scene. Yeah, he seemed. I don't know that we see the bottle, but he's been very devoted to J and B. He's very uh, much on Team J and B. Yeah, uh, I think so. Yeah. And and Irina's response to all this, she stabs her husband to death. I mean, not that this guy didn't deserve it. This guy is terrible, and you know, you you shed no tears for Oliviero. 
Floriana sees all this and tells Irina that they have to hide the body in the cellar, which they do. And it turns out she was after Oliviero's mother's jewels all along. And Irina gives them to her. They sleep together again. And they soon hear typing on the typewriter. They go in and clearly someone's been there and has typed out revenge over and over and over. So Floriana, she decides to get the hell out of here and she takes off with her delivery guy slash dirt biker. And then the gray haired man shows up at the front door and it turns out Irina was in cahoots with him all along. He was actually the one who typed out revenge in order to drive Floriana away. And we learn that Irina played an incredibly long game. She killed Olivero's mother, as well as orchestrating Brenda's death, too. Uh, presumably, the gray-haired man did the actual killing. The killer who killed the girl from the train was apparently just a coincidence. Uh, it is unclear, by the way, who killed Olivero's mistress at the uh, at the at the quarry. Was it the the bookstore manager slash escaped lunatic, or was it the gray-haired man as part of the the plot? Um, I think the bookstore guy killed uh, the the mistress because the way Arena talks about it later, it doesn't sound like she's the one responsible for that. Yeah, and it makes sense that the bookstore owner would have known about that tryst. Yeah, just from proximity to the mistress, etc. Floriana and her delivery guy slash biker speed off on the motorcycle, but what they don't know is the gray-haired man is waiting to throw oil on the road, so they crash. It's incredible. First of all, I just want to point out they're not wearing helmets. Nope. And I want to say that's bad judgment on their part. If you're going to ride a motorcycle, you should always wear a helmet, uh, especially if someone might be waiting to to pour oil on the road on a sharp turn uh, to kill you. And then he lights the oil on fire. He takes the jewels, lights the oil on fire, and they're done. Yeah. I mean, if you needed to get rid of a baby Conan or something like that, or a, you know, you would want this guy in charge. Yeah. Not someone who's – or a baby Arthur – a baby King Arthur, uh, yeah. anyone really who you need. Or, to or Arthur of. from the Dudley Moore movie, a baby version of that yeah. character. Whoever, this guy's you know. going to get the job done. He, he is, is not he is good. This. Nope. Yeah, no. Yeah. Um, what, what's interesting, one interesting thing is that it's sort of they're, they're on the motorcycle speeding to their doom. Martino cuts back and forth between them on the motorcycle and a billboard of a woman in lingerie on her knees licking a giant heart-shaped lollipop. And that billboard's like right in front of the area where they, they crash. And I, I saw an interview with Martino talking about that where he said, and I quote, he wanted to juxtapose death with an image of happiness. Oh. Yeah. Okay. There you go. Image of happiness. That's, that, that is either a translation issue or it explains <laughs> a lot. <laughs> I think he was speaking in English. I think he speaks English, but then there you go. Once the gray-haired man gives the jewels to Irina, she's done with him. And she immediately, she just fucking pushes him off a cliff. Boom! And I'm just like, that is a queen move right there. Amazing. Just as you say, hey, kids, if, if you're <laughs> part of a murderous uh, duo, uh, you know, perhaps you think you're in love with each other, uh, you know, don't don't meet at the edge of a cliff. Don't 
It's his own fault for going. It's his own fault for not 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 being more well, self aware. Did he not see this coming? Aware of his environment. Yeah, such some situational awareness here. Yeah, what's amazing? You you mentioned earlier how like uh, Anita Strindberg's makeup gets progressively more sort of and but here now boom she is perfect in this scene. Yes, like she is standing on the edge of the cliff and she is. Abs- like it triumphant and she looks absolutely radiant it's amazing and honestly rob i'll say it i wanted her to get away with it yeah it's um i can't say the same but uh <laughs> <laughs> just being honest <laughs> i, I want to come back to one thing because i it it gnawed at me a little bit it wasn't the cat was it <laughs> No, the scene oh. when she goes and checks to see if the tire was blown out. She's checking yeah. uh, checking his story out. And on one hand, you can go, well, at the end, it was her. So was she play acting for him, even though he wasn't there and she didn't see? Or was it a cheat for the audience? But there was the murder she was not involved in. Yeah. At least one. She might have been checking to see... Is he actually murdering murdering that other girl? Or yeah. Not? So it 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 seems like it might not fit at first glance, but I actually think that she was it wasn't an act that she was checking that tire legitimately. I agree, and that, I think that's more evidence the fact that that she did not like the 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 Oliviero's mistress who was the first one killed, and then the the random girl with the in the the random prostitute yeah. with the dolls were were the were the other killer who just happened to be operating in the same town at the same time. She is de- directly responsible for Brenda's death as well as uh, you know obviously Oliviero's and now the gray haired. I mean, She's got she's got some blood on her hands, but God, she looks so good doing it. I, I'm I'm all right with it. I mean, you know, it's not like Oliviero is a nice guy. Uh, the thing um, is, Chris, I know I have a flexible moral compass. Well, I, no, I, you know, because in this this final little sequence here, there is something that she does that if you if you hadn't wanted to see her punished before this point, she does something so vile and despicable that. You must see her punished because when those uh, the detectives come, right? Because we're, we're getting there. Yes, she serves them grappa, not J and B, not Burnett Bronca. She serves them grappa. Oh, oh my God! Yeah, she yeah. deserves to go away forever. <laughs> Um, yes, like the, the detectives show up, not investigating any any human murder, but because the old woman who was collecting the cans and bottles reported <laughs> reported her for animal cruelty because they oversaw they she saw her give, you know, stabbing out the cat's eye. So they kind of the cat the cops show up to to investigate the animal cruelty complaint, and they come to the house to investigate that, and they hear the cat meowing. <laughs> From the basement. And this is where it's like, it's directly from Poe where it's, you know, it's a story. The, the black, it's a lot like the telltale minus the heart. Yeah, yeah. Minus the grappa. <laughs> and, and they go down to the basement and they, they, they hear the, the cat meowing from behind the wall and they open up the wall to reveal the, reveal the bodies of Oliviero and Brenda inside. And she's busted. That's it. She's busted. I love this movie. This movie is demented and and it's facet. Like I said, I think it, it, it is a fusing of Poe and and sort of Giallo sensibilities. It's I think it does it incredibly well. It's uh yeah, it's interesting because it's it is still 
there are a lot of giallo elements to this thing. Yeah. But there are some key differences that make it kind of feel apart enough uh, that it's it's hard to put it exactly in the same category. I mean, you've got the, the way that it's psychological and sexual seems different enough from other Gialli. Yeah. And then the lack of investigation, even though they pay kind of lip service. And then it's just like, there's just multiple murdery death things going on. That feels very Bay of Blood. We're just kind yeah. of many, many people are murderous in this thing, all with ill intentions. There's no shoe leather in this movie. Like there's some investigation, but there's no shoe leather. There's zero. Uh, I mean, the cop shows up a couple times. But that's played more as just... Ooh, are one of the three leads that we're following, like, what's their reaction? Are they hiding something? How are they going to try and wiggle out of this? It's not a clue. Yeah, it's not going and talking to a guy and learning some bullshit. Yeah, we never see a fingerprint in this movie. <laughs> not once. <laughs> they don't have the sophisticated computers in, in Padua no. that, that they do, you know, down in, in Rome or in Milan. There are no punch cards. There's no genetics. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, this this it's an all star cast. It, 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 the film looks great. I'm a big fan of this one. Yeah, I give it I give it five stilettos. Uh, five. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I give it five straight razors. Yes, <laughs> five cat's eyes. <laughs> yeah, five cat's, cat's eyes. Oh, oh wait, no. I give it five bottles of J and B. I give it five f- bottles of Fernet Branca. No. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I see that we're coming down on different sides of this war. <laughs> Yes. Uh, either company, we will, will, will be more than happy to have, you know, to like take sponsorship money from either booze company. I don't know if there's still a, JB's still around. Yeah. I know that. Oh, no. Fernet, Fernet, very They're both still. And Fernet, if you send the bottles, send the cooler, cooling machine, because uh, I do prefer a chilled, yeah. a chilled Fernet Bronco. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll do a, we'll do a special on that. <laughs> Uh, that's a, now that's a get me another that is go get me <laughs> uh, so yeah you, 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 we both had it it's the heat of Giallo movies Fennec and Strindberg sometimes movies give you what you want and that's just that's all I'll say and uh, and I think that brings us to the end of today's episode uh, next week we're going to focus on another of the most prolific Giallo filmmakers whose work we haven't really touched upon yet Umberto Lenzi so join us then as we explore two of his films, Seven Bloodstained Orchids and Knife of Ice. I almost said Seven Bloodstained Butterflies. I was like, no, no. I don't think I could do a Bloodstained Butterfly sequel where they went from one to seven. But it's Seven Bloodstained Orchids and Knife of Ice. Thank you so much for listening. Again, we are your hosts, Chris Iannacone and Rob Lamorges. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider subscribing and following us on Twitter, Instagram, Threads and Blue Sky at Get Me Another Pod. If you've liked the show, please tell your friends, tell your enemies, tell everybody on that elevator in your high rise apartment building, as well as those hippies you have over for drunken parties. And join us next time as we continue to explore what happens when studios say, Get Me Another. You mean yeah. Rick Caruso doesn't design all his own stuff? I don't believe it. My God. I, you know, 
I, I don't know that he went to school for architecture. Yeah. Who else could have conceived of the Grove? My God, you know, it changed changed the landscape to you know you can't, you don't even go to the 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 Beverly Hills Center the the uh, what's the indoor one that they now put stuff the on Center. it. It's a Beverly Center. Yeah, yeah that's you it. said it. The yeah, Center. a Beverly yeah. Center. It looks like now it looks like a high end prison with the the cladding that they've put on the outside. It's like it looks like something at a THX eleven thirty eight. Yeah, I, I always expect that in the middle of that place, I'm going to ascend the carousel to my death. But uh, <laughs> it's what I renew, but I think we're, renew. We're, we're feeling the same thing. Yeah, no, it's it's yeah. dystopian to be sure. 